All right. Whew, they're good. Let me get my mic on. <laughs> well, it is wonderful to be here in the U.S. I was telling several people, they said, you know, is it, is it nice to be back? And I said, it is, but it, at the same time, it feels a little surreal still. <laughs> kind of settling in that I'm actually here, but it's wonderful to be back at Oldham Lane. It's always fun to walk in and see all the loving faces and so many people that do remember us, so many people that, that have kept up with what's going on in the work. And, and to us, you know, we're we're, we're sending out the newsletters, but not always knowing just how many are, are paying attention and, and even more important, how many people are praying for us. And I'd like to just first of all thank each and every one of you for, for being aware of the work we do, for the prayers that you've, you've, uh, you've said, spoke, sorry, the prayers you've spoken on behalf of our work and just ask that you can continue praying for us because God's truly blessing, but I know that it's, it's not just it's not our human efforts that are getting it done. There's just so much that, that he pulls off with his own hands in ways that only he can do. And we, we're so grateful to him, but also to his people who, who are constantly, uh, well, keeping those prayers going for us. Anyway, uh, this morning, I hope you brought your Bibles, everybody. <laughs> I've got uh, a wonderful lesson I'd like to share, something that, that touched me a while back when, when I'd, I'd read it many times and then prepared it and shared it not too long ago with the church in Cuenca. And, and it touched me and seemed to touch others, so I figured I'd share it this morning. Hopefully it has the same impact upon you. I think it will, being that the Word of God has that effect in us when we, when we allow it to come into our hearts. Uh, before continuing, I'd like to say a quick prayer asking a little extra blessing on the Lord's behalf. You can pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you so much once again for this day. I thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful congregation and, and the wonderful members, the wonderful Christians, Lord, that have come here. I thank you for each and every one of those, Lord, for whom you died and in and, and whom you, you've purified, Lord, with your word, with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you be with me this morning in sharing your word. Help me to do so faithfully in a way that touches our hearts, Father. And I pray that you help us to, to guard these words in our hearts, Father, that we might walk accordingly, Father, that we might glorify you with our lives. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and in his name that we pray. Amen. So this morning, if you have your Bibles or if you have a cell phone, please uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we'll be, that'll be our, our text that we're mostly working out of this morning. But I'd like to start with this. How often in your life, or how many times have you noticed uh, the conflicts that we fall into, and how often we follow a certain pattern in our conflicts? I, hopefully your life doesn't have that much conflict, but from experience, I'd have to say you have experience with a few. You, you've had a few conflicts in your life. It's something that we always run into. There's always, as much as we might try to keep the peace, there's always someone who seems to want to disrupt it. And, and throughout history, there's there, things that to me seem somewhat crazy or, or, or at least unfortunate that have happened with conflicts throughout the world. I, I think of World War I when they were teaching it to me in school, and I don't profess to be any kind of a, of a history buff in any way. I, I enjoy history to an extent now that I'm of a slightly greater age. I'm not so old just yet, I don't think. But going back, I remember when they first were explaining World War I, I could not figure out why they fought. 
could not get it. I mean, I know, I know, you know, Franz Ferdinand gets killed, and, and they say it was some terrorists, but then there's arguments that they were independent, or they were working for their government, and then there's all these different allies and agreements between different countries, and, and it was just a domino effect. And, and it, each person basically said, well, I got your back. And blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, you know, two people were killed, and hundreds of thousands more follow right behind them. And, and so many other wars throughout history have been similar. You know, you think uh, uh, even, even, you know, the whole issue with, with going to Iraq, I'm not getting into any politics or even saying I understand the situation, but, you know, the, the weapons of mass destruction, all this kind of stuff, and on one hand, you got a guy saying, I don't have them, and then on the other side, he's bragging, on the other side, he's bragging that he does, and so well, who do you believe and what do you do? And he had his own reasons. He's posturing on one and posturing on the other and gets himself in a big mess and many, many, many others as well. And even going as far back as to Greek times, a story that's not true, but the Greeks thought it was, Helen of Troy. Anybody here read you know, the story of the Trojan Wars and know it? The whole Trojan War was fought simply because this king stole the other king's girl. And cities were willing to go to war over it. Are you can, you can't talk to my enemy. You can't do that. And they, battle lines were drawn. People went to war to defend the honor of the fact that you stole my king's woman. It wasn't a true story, but the Greeks, they believed it because they said, I'd do it. I'd do it again. <laughs> So often, we get into these conflicts, and, and while those are huge battles, how many times in our own lives is there a disagreement, is there a conflict, and we do the same thing that was done then? Battle lines are drawn, sides are taken, people are up in arms, and so as we get into the story, I'd like to start working through the text, but starting in verse 2, so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 2, and we'll give a little bit of history. At this point in time, David had to run away from Saul. He'd already been anointed by Samuel. Samuel just passed away in verse 1. Saul wants to kill Samuel, or wants to kill David. Sorry, I'm getting <laughs> caught up looking at wonderful faces out here. So Saul's looking to kill David. David had to run away. And so David lands, as we see in verse 2, it says, And there was a man in uh, Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He, uh, he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and his, the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. The man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace to you and peace to your house, and peace be to all, you, uh, to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your, she your shepherds have been with us, and we did, no, we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, uh, and to your son David. 
And so he makes this request. David's living on, uh, on Nabal's land, and he's protected them. He's provided, uh, you know, uh, he's been a resource to them, kept them from having anything stolen or anything bad happening, and he's not asked anything yet. And some would look at this and say, it almost sounds like extortion. Well, I haven't done anything bad to you yet. But he's not, he's not extorting him. He's not doing anything. It's, it's an ancient, you know, if you look at old times and older cultures, they do this all the time. There's places in Ecuador, whether you're in the, the indigenous cultures in, in the mountains or, or going out to the Amazon areas, but the, the smaller towns, the older cultures, if you're walking through town at mealtime, they will invite you in. Because heaven forbid you came to my town and went hungry. So for their honor's sake, for their name's sake, they're not going to let you go hungry in their own town. You will come in. I've heard in Italy that they, there are certain places they still do it. In, in China, they don't even say, hey, how's it going? You know, they, when, when they greet someone, they don't say, hey, how's it going? They say, hey, did you eat yet? Did you eat yet? Oh, Why? Because you invite people in. You make sure they're eating. You don't want anyone to be with an empty stomach. So David has spent all this time caring for the land, protecting them, and then a feast day comes along. So it's not just any day saying, hey, man, hand me some food. It was a feast day. This was a festival they're they're needing to celebrate as a nation, as a people, as Jews. And they say, hey, could you help us out with something just to celebrate the feast? And they ask nicely, but at the same time, he sent 10 men, which means he's kind of expecting it's going to happen, right? (laughs) This is culturally done. And so he goes, he asks nicely, but this man, Nabal, we already see he's he's a harsh man. And so verse 8 going on says, Afterward, David also arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul... Sorry, I jumped chapters on you. Sorry about that. Verse 9, chapter 25, verse 9. When David's young men came and said this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited, so they're expecting something, kind of waiting, good thing, waiting for that answer. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. So uh, whether he knew who David was or didn't know who David was, I'm not totally certain. Because in a way, he might know David's running away from Saul and treating him like an escaped slave. Oh, you're one who ought to be under someone else's authority, and you've run off so many who are just escaping authority, running from the government, essentially an outlaw, a vagabond, he might even call him. Shall I take it, or shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? I even know where you're from. I'm going to take my stuff and give it to you? Please. Not going to happen. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. Wow. So pretty strong insults David gets from Nabal. But good thing, David is a man after God's own heart. I mean, we just saw Saul's trying to kill him, and he shows Saul that he had the opportunity to kill him and didn't. He's a, he's, he's, while he is a, a warrior, he's, he's a man of peace and a man after God's own heart. So 
certainly things will not escalate in this scenario. Correct? Anyone else know the story? <laughs> Let's keep reading. It says, And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. Oh boy. Things just escalated. Things just got worse. David is offended. You have not honored the Lord's anointed. Because remember, part of, part of the reason why he wouldn't kill Saul is why? Even though he had been anointed to be king, Saul was still anointed. The man who eventually takes Saul's life right at the end and then comes and tells David, he goes, who do you think you are confessing to having killed the Lord's anointed? So he has a great respect for the Lord's anointed when it's someone else and apparently when it's himself as well. So, oh, how dare you? So I'm sure in his mind he's justifying, well, this is not for me. This is for the Lord because I am the Lord's anointed and you're insulting him and the office that I hold. I don't know. But he, he gets very angry. Everyone strap on a sword and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword and about 400 men went up after David while 200 remained with the baggage. So things are getting ugly. Battle lines were drawn. Do you do this in your own life? When someone challenges you, when someone offends you, when someone isn't behaving according to what you think would be the right standard, or they're, they're not respecting you for the, the, the title or position or authority that you have, do you start to, to draw lines in the sand? Say, hey, you with me or you with them? Which side are you going to fight on? Sorry, do you know what he did to me? What do you think about it? Uh-huh. Do we do that? I think we do, more often than we ought to. And so we have David on one end, Nabal on the other. They're both just thinking they're right in their own mind and mad as can be, and, and David's got quite the army to make quite the disaster. Thankfully, in verse 14, we see someone else steps in. It says, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good with us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long as we went with them, they were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the while, we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Boy, well, first of all, first lesson in the sermon, don't be like Nabal. <laughs> don't be someone that people say, I can't talk to him, right? Sometimes we are. Sometimes we get fired up just too quick and say, ah, I, can't, I couldn't possibly tell him that. I can't go to him. He's just so mad. What are we going to do? So first thing, don't be that guy, right? Don't be Nabal. Don't be the hot under the collar and, 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 and foolish man that's just looking to, to make trouble and, and, and step on people. That's, that's an obvious one. But we're really, in case you didn't catch on, looking at Abigail's example and what's going forward. Because so far we've had lines drawn, and yet we'll see Abigail does not draw lines. She's seeking 
peace. She's seeking the Lord's will in the matter. And so our, our first instance in that is we don't draw lines and we don't take sides with people. We stand with whom? I got to hear it. I don't go forward. Who do we stand with? We stand with God. There's no other line I will cross. I must stand with God. And that's the first question I need to ask when I recognize a conflict. How do I stand with God in the matter? How do I become a peacemaker as she becomes, not just a pacifist? But at the same time, she has very radical approaches that I think are very godly approaches. It ought to be normal approaches, but for us in our customs, I think are radical approaches to resolving this conflict. And so, verse 18, we see the next important thing that she did in resolving this conflict. Verse 18, then Abigail made haste. We don't say made haste too often. Who uses made haste weekly in their vocabulary? Not me, all right? But made haste means what? She moved quickly. She did not wait to resolve, well, I don't know, let's just see how this plays out. I don't want to get in the middle of it. Things were happening. She knew something had to be done. And she quickly was looking to make peace. We're told in the Bible, don't let, you know, don't leave your anger till the next day. Right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And she was I'm, I'm quite confident she was not one of those. She was going to let, she was going to make peace before the sun went down. And thank the Lord that she did. It says, and Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and 500 seas of, of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes and figs and laid them on the donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now, women, we are discussing ways that women can work well in the household. Don't let this be the one thing you take away from this lesson, that she did not tell her husband, okay? <laughs> I know how people are. <laughs> that is not the point of the lesson, okay? But she did work hastily. It was not convenient at the moment to tell her husband. We find out later that she did actively look for the first correct and convenient occasion to tell her husband, Right? So she did tell him. She didn't just keep secrets and lies and whatever else. But at the moment, she was working for peace and she knew he was not in the right state of mind and she did what needed to be done. But she arranges all these things to be given. <clears throat> Verse 20, And as she rode on the donkey and came down, uh, came down under the uh, cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Man, he is, he is fired up about this insult. Is this characteristic of David? How would you have dealt with David when he's acting this way? 
Oh, you just, look at you. Acting all crazy. You're always getting so mad. You're always getting in fights. How many Philistines can't walk right because of what you did? Right? He's, we have a tendency to want to say, you're always this and you're never that. And, and exactly, don't you see how pathetic and awful and miserable you are? Is that the way we sometimes try to resolve our conflicts? Well, if only he'd realize he's just so little petty and miserable, he'd just quit. Question, how's it working out for you so far? When they feel little, they often try to prove what? I'm big. And they get worse. <laughs> oh, the things we do, right? <laughs> and so, let's see what Abigail's approach was. Does she go and insult him? Because he, Does he deserve it? I think David would deserve it, the way he's acting right now. You know, in our, in our human mind, he would deserve to be chewed out for the way he's acting. But who dares to do it when he's carrying a sword and has 400 more behind him? So, verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Question. Why did she bow on the ground to David? Is it out of fear for the swords that he's carrying? We find that she's going to say some strong words to him, but in a very godly woman way. She's not fearful of this man, but she is submitting to the authority he has as an anointed of God. She's also appealing to the best nature to hope to get him to do the right thing. You know, we often quote Hebrews 10.25. What, what's the conclusion? He, Hebrews 10.25, we should be doing what? You ought to be here this morning, right? Don't forsake the assembly. You ought to be here this morning. What does Hebrews 10.24 say? Gives you the, the reason you ought to be here. To stimulate, to encourage each other, to love and good works. Did you come? Did we just come this morning to be like, well, I was there. I heard the sermon. Wasn't that good. <laughs> but, but, or did I come this morning with the intent purpose of realizing, you know what? There might be someone here that needs me. I know countless people who say, I'd rather stay. Honestly, if I stay home and just read my Bible Sunday morning, I get so much more out of it. Sorry, but Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is not about you. It's not about what you got out of it. You got all week to get something out of it. You've got this morning to be with those who are in conflicts, those who are hurt, those who are feeling trampled, those who have bad attitudes and need to fix it. And this is your best opportunity to be amongst those who need you as Christians and to do what? To motivate them, to encourage them, to stimulate them, to get them to be living for what? Say it yourself, for love and good works. We take advantage of those opportunities Abigail did. So she shows up not in fear, 
but submitting as, you know, not a popular topic these days, but 1 Peter 3, when, when he's talking about wives submitting as Sarah submitted to Abraham and called him my Lord, but it says, and not to be overcome by fear. It says submit, and don't be, meaning don't submit out of fear. It's saying don't let your fear keep you from submitting. And that's not just for women. That's for men too. We have authorities over us. We have people we need to look to. We have governments above. And there's, a le- there's a, an authority, there's a respect we need to give them. And it takes bravery to trust God and submit properly. It takes bravery to act as we ought to and not as that fire inside feels like we should. And so we see Abigail come and she, she, you know, this unworthy man, mad as can be, ready to slaughter people. And she gets down before him. Verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. What did she do wrong? She didn't even find out till later. May the guilt be on me. Well, that's not right. She got the argument wrong. Never going to win that way. How many times do we get in it for a debate? How many times are we talking just to be right? And how many times are we talking to win a friend, to win a brother, to save a soul? Are we really concerned about the person or just being right? So she approaches this. She lays down before him. She begs forgiveness for something she didn't even do. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. So she did insult her husband. Don't take, that's not a takeaway. All right? This is not, it's, it's my woman's intuition. He's a fool. No. This is not a takeaway, but he seems to have been a very extreme case. So, sorry, I'm getting, so on me alone, let me speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Verse 25, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal for his name is, so he is Nabal. His, his name alone means fool. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Is she insulting him? She putting him in his place? Well, in a way, she is putting him in his place. What is his place? Oh, I think you've forgotten. You're acting like a common man. She didn't say it that way, but you are the Lord's anointed. You're fighting his battles. He's working through you to make his will a reality in this world. 
He's going to do awesome things. He's going to put all your enemies below your feet. Interesting. Where is she going with this? Verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of what? Anyone want to read that out loud? Have no cause of? Grief or pangs of consciousness for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself, avenging himself. God's going to do amazing things in your life. God has dreamed of what he wants to do with you. Don't put a stain on it. Don't act rashly and say, whoa. And sadly, in, in later when it gives a summary of David's life, and it says, and he, he walked right before the Lord, except in that case with Bathsheba. Boy, that except really hurts, doesn't it? It's like if someone put a cigarette burn into the Mona Lisa. That's pretty much perfect. And so she's here trying to get him to stop. This would have been the first blemish. He almost avoided blemishes. And she's saying, don't blemish this reputation. Don't blemish the Lord's masterwork in you. Conquering your enemies, setting up a kingdom of righteousness. Don't let this instant ruin that. How often do we appeal to the good we know is in someone, the good they ought to do, the good God wants to work out through them. We got to give it a try, you think? Instead of belittling, that's what it looks like to encourage love and good works in a person. Saying, you know, this is not, being clear, this is not right. But you are able, worthy, and God has determined that you should do better things than this. And I believe you can, and I believe you should, and I believe wonderful things will come out of making the proper decision at this point in your life. Don't throw it all away. Don't be the person that someone else would insult you as being. I know you're greater than that. So here, she does this, and of course, David answers in, in a beautiful way. Well, of course, she, she then later says, and then the Lord has, uh, yeah. Yeah, and when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. So saying, I even trust this, God's going to bless you, and I'm kind of hoping one day you won't forget me when you're in your kingdom when you're on your throne, when you have power, when you have all that, don't forget the things we've done. But that's how much I trust that you will be there. This will not be taken from you. And then David said to Abigail, 
blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not uh, Truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace into your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. She turned a heart. And I can't help but think this did stick with him for quite a while after. This is not the kind of event that you quickly forget. To me, for me, this would be a life-changing event that someone I was seeking to destroy would lay themselves out before me, take upon themselves a guilt that was not their own, encourage me not looking towards my bad, not taking into account or insulting me for my, my deficiencies, but rather seeing in me the good that God was drawing out, the plans that God had for me, and having the love to encourage me to continue in those. It's a, in case you didn't catch the parallels, that's a very Christ-like thing to do. We had our own conflict. We had our own sin. His law was perfect and yet became a condemnation to us because of our own imperfections. But he didn't come down to just chew us out. He didn't come down to bring death and judgment and condemnation, but rather out of love to take it upon himself so that we, not looking back to the life of sin, but rather eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our face could just run towards him, run towards all the good works, towards all the plans that he has for us, the things he dreamed of for us since before creation. I don't know if you guys raise hands. How many of you could use an encouragement like this a little more often? I know I could. I, I, don't, I don't think I have been the encourager I ought to be and need to work on it. But, oh, man, if I had people in my life doing it, I know I'd love it. How much more should I do it? If I want it, how much more should I do it for others, right? There's so much criticism. There's so much drawing lines in the sands, making battles that goes on in this world. Are we going to be that peacemaker Jesus called for? Blessed are the peacemakers. Will we be them? Will we step into that gap to make peace? Abigail was not one to draw lines in the sand. She was quick to seek out to make peace. She was humble and self-sacrificing in doing so. She did not come from a point of judgment, but rather seeking to make love and encourage to, to good works. I pray that today we can all be better. We can help each other to consistently be better at doing this. Because I know I need it. I imagine there's others that need it 
as well. I imagine there's many in here who, while they might hear the words, the world has repeated so often their insignificance, or so often their frailties, their inabilities, their faults, that you might feel crushed, or you might feel empty because of what you're surrounded with, what you hear constantly. But know this, it's not only Abigail that thinks this way and works this way. Christ did this for you on the cross. Christ knows the good works he prepared for you. He trusts in them. He died for them. He guards them until that day when we can be with him. I know in whom I have Believe it, right? As we sing and as it says in 1 Timothy 1.12. And then persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. No one can take away the things I give to Christ. He will never forget. He will always appreciate. Do not let this world convince you that you're anything less than one that was purchased and has the value of the blood of Christ. Because only you can give it away. If anyone has not made that decision, if anyone has not accepted that purchase in the blood of Christ, if for any reason you are not where you need to be this morning, I beg you, don't leave until you've settled the matter. Whether it's with another Christian, whether it's with God himself, or whether it's just repentance and getting of prayer, there's many here that I know are devoted to love and encouragement. Seek out a brother, seek out an elder, talk to me, I'm here for today, (laughs) and I'll set you up with someone who's here longer, but make it happen today without haste, as Abigail did, without haste, seek peace with your Lord, with your brother, and this week with your enemies even, should you have them, because the days are numbered, and conflicts only get worse. May the Lord bless you, and may we all walk in the same counsel. Do we typically do a prayer to end the sermon? We'll pass on to a song. I won't do another prayer. Sorry, I usually pray at the end, and so I got a little mixed up. But I pray that we can all live up to that example of Abigail, more so of Christ. Let us not look down on each other. Let us not look down even upon ourselves, but only look to the value that Christ has seen in each and every one of us and encourage others to live up to it. May God bless you all.